0: Near the end of First uh, John, there's a, you know, there's sections where John is going to kind of summarize what he's talked about and and you know kind of put it all down and and sometimes repeat it for us and it's it's good it's important that he does that uh, because sometimes we can get lost in these in these letters even short letters like this and as I was looking at this week's text I was thinking about um, you know, this thing we sometimes do where, where when we don't like the way things are turning out, we, we want like there to be kind of a different way, a different way of judging, a different way of a standard and, and, and so so you know some of you may know that I used to like like to go golfing, and I was never good at golfing. I started golfing when I was, when I was, when I was um, much older than most people start and and all, but, you know, I enjoyed it for a while. And um, what I noticed about, you know, again, golfing was different people had different standards. They would, you know, get upset at different things and all. But one of the f- kind of facts I learned about golfing when I was actually caring about it is uh, a golf hole is actually the size of three golf balls. You can put three golf balls side to side. Now, when you're trying to putt, it seems like it's, like, smaller than the golf ball because it never goes in, at least for me. But, you know, it would be great if, you know, some people think, like, if we could change the standards. You know, like, if the golf hole was like this, you know, I'd make a lot more putts if it was like this. And in fact, if it was, you know, if it was like, if it was like that, like, you know, golf would be easy. Well. Maybe you could just put in a hole that big. We love to, to change the, the standards sometimes. And sometimes we do it for other people. We, we give them a pass. We make it easier, especially people we like. And, and then sometimes we do it the other way. We make it harder. People we don't like, you know, the standard's really high. And sometimes with ourselves, we make standards impossibly high, and sometimes we make them um, very low and we and we just wanna keep moving the standard around to, to suit whatever we wanna we wanna talk about. And that's that's part of the problem we have. You know, people you know have a, a sliding standard for things. What they think is right, what they think is good, what they think is perfect. And we've been talking about love and so even with love there's like this this sliding standard of what is love. You know, I'm, I'm always like this, I, I, you know, I kind of understand the whole thing we do, like that phrase we say, like, you know, never speak ill of the dead. And, and yet sometimes that's when our sliding standards comes out the most. When if it's someone we like, we look past a lot of things and we can say, that was a good person. And if it's someone we don't like, we do the same. And so it's really hard if you just have your standards sliding back and forth, moving around, depending on different factors. Um, It's really hard because how do we then distinguish between what's true and false? How do we actually distinguish between what is good and not good and what is love and what is not love? How do we do this if we just keep changing the rules all the time? If we just keep changing the objective, changing the game? And that's that's all we do. Not just people in the world, but even in the church we do that. And it's tempting sometimes because when, when things go well in a certain area, then we want to make it that. If things are going well in numbers, success is all about numbers. If things are going well in terms of programs or in terms of buildings, things like that, that's what we want to talk about. That becomes the thing. It's it's kind of the thing that my observation before I became a pastor of what pastors sometimes do when, you know, growing up in a pastor's home and then, you know, hanging around pastors and teaching a bunch of young pastors when I was at Uh, Southwestern, is that I I think like sometimes the pastor's mentality of of these standards is they, you know, they, they shoot their arrow first and then they go draw the target around the arrow. Because when you do that, guess what? It's always a bullseye, right? It's always dead on. But if you do what I think we should be doing, you should... Call your shot. You should say, that's what I'm aiming for. And then go. In fact, you shouldn't just be calling your shot. you should actually be calling the shot that the Bible says that we should be aiming for. And that's why for me, over the past year and a half, you've heard me say, and I'll say it again and again, we want to be a healthy church. That's the target a healthy church. And a healthy church, not by my standards or your standards, but what the Bible says a healthy church is. That's the target. And in that sense, it doesn't matter. In fact, it may be bad if suddenly there's thousands of people here and we're not healthy. Oh, everybody else is going to say, hey, how'd you do it? How, how'd you guys do it? What'd you do? And they're going to want us to, like, to maybe you know, do conferences or write a book and say, this is, how you, this is how you get healthy. But really, we didn't get healthy. We got big. Big and healthy aren't the same thing. I don't want the sliding standard. I want the one standard. The one that I find in Scripture. The one that says, regardless of how big or small your church is, how much money, how little money it has, how many programs it runs, or whether it just meets and does one thing. The key question is, is it healthy? And so we've talked about a healthy church. We've talked about that's you know, that community of disciples people so in love with God, so in love with His Word, so in love with each other. And there's a health there. There's a strength there. There's a power there. And so John, he's trying to help this church 2,000 years ago distinguish between true and false Christianity. And in so doing, he's helping us understand more about what a healthy church is. And so when we look at 1 John chapter 4, we're going to read a verse that we ended with last week and then move into a new section because I think this verse kind of goes with both sections. But he says this, No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us because He has given us of His Spirit. so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment, because as He is, so also are we in this world. I think this, is, this verse is bracketed by these two things. God's love is perfected in us, in verse 12. And then in verse 17, it says again, by this is love perfected with us. And I think this is a summary statement of what he's already said. He's saying, this is how you can know. You can have all the proofs you want. You can verify the Bible is true. You can verify that that your doctrines are consistent with the Bible. You can know all of that. But here's the evidence. Can you love in a way you could not love before? Can you love your enemies and everyone else who does far less offensive things to you? Can you love your brother and sister in Christ that you disagree with? Can you love your brother and sister in Christ who is weird and acts differently or maybe even rude? Can you love them you want to know? That's what you know. It's not that you can simply check off the boxes. He says you can know. But understand that what he's doing is, he's not saying all you need is love. Remember, we, we debunked the Beatles song a few weeks ago. It's not all you need is love. In this verse, he brings together three things. In verse 13, he says... This is how we know He's given us His Spirit. And then in verse 15, He says, you need to confess that Jesus is the Son of God. And when you do, God abides in you. And we abide in Him. And then He says, in verse 16, we've come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in Him. These three things, you cannot just have one. You cannot just have two. It is the Spirit living in us. But the Spirit doesn't... It, we're not born with the Spirit. That's what the world wants to say. The world wants to say, we all have this little light in us. And, and what Jesus came to do, if they believe in Jesus, is, is to help us discover that light and then that light will shine and oh, great and awesome. No. What the Bible pictures is is a much more bleak thing. He says there is no light in you without Jesus Christ. It doesn't mean you cannot do good things. You can. Non-Christians do amazing things. But he's saying the Spirit has to be there. And the Spirit only comes when we have faith in Jesus Christ. You see, he's bringing together spirit, but spirit. for spirit to happen, we have to have faith in Jesus Christ. There's something about this where where we have to believe. We have to, in a sense, do something. But then, what is connection? I mean, if I were to tell you anything else like this, and say, if you believe in peanut butter, the Holy Spirit will come into your life. Now, it's not true, um, by the way. But if it were true, what you would understand is that there's no like, logical connection between what you believe and the Spirit coming in. The only reason there's a connection is because the Bible tells us there's a connection between what you believe, who you believe in Jesus Christ, and the Spirit coming in. And what that tells you is it reaffirms for us that this isn't because you deserve it. It isn't because you, you, you found the secret formula and you're, you're working it out. Because there's no direct cause effect other than the fact that Jesus says, if you do it, this will happen, then we know it's because God does something. It's one of the reasons these forms of Christian humanism, this whole whole sense that, that we can just basically adopt the teachings and principles of Christianity and live them out as human beings, and that will lead us towards goodness. That's why it doesn't fly. Something has to happen to us. We have to be changed. And that's the Spirit. But there's also this experience there's this experience we have of love. And these th- things all come together. Someone who says, I have all the right beliefs, and I have the Spirit, but I don't love. No, that's not Christianity. If someone says, oh, you know, I, I, I love, but you know, I don't believe all that stuff. That's not Christianity either. If someone says, I believe the right things and I, and I work really hard to, to, to show love to people, but I don't know this spirit thing. It's not Christianity either. John is bringing these three things together because he's saying this is how you know God abides in you and you abide in God. These three things have to be together in your life. Not just one, not just two, all three. They come together, and some people today, you know, it just drives me crazy when Christians do this. Well-meaning Christians, they 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 want to be like, you know, you know, I don't like that. Let uh, love talk. It should be about our our faith, our beliefs, our doctrine, and so they they want to put God's love in opposition to who God is and our beliefs about God. Like, it's a choice. I I see this all the time from when I used to be at the seminary, there'd be students debating and sometimes professors and arguing about those, like those two things are mutually exclusive. They're not. In fact, the Bible ties them together. That they cannot be separated. If you believe the right things about God, you will love. That's it. But, but people think like, oh, you know, you, you got the Spirit or you got the Word. No. You got the Word and the Spirit. They're not fighting with each other for attention. But, but people do this all the time. Well-meaning Christians will get up and they will talk about what's wrong with the churches. all you people talking about love. Really? Really? That's what's wrong with the church. And then there will be other people who say, You know what's wrong with the church is all you people just want to talk doctrine, doctrine, doctrine. <laughs> if John and Paul and Jesus and Peter were here, hearing that kind of stuff, I don't know. I think we'd be in for a serious slapdown. What are you talking about? Guys, How many times do we have to tell you in the Bible from so many different people again and again and again, these are not to be divided. They are connected. What you believe is connected to you becoming new. And you becoming new means you can love in ways that only God can love. And yet we want to separate it. And so John... He's coming and He's saying, okay, this is how we know. This is how we know that God lives with us. And so what does God promise to us? It says He promises us His Spirit. And some people are kind of confused. What does that mean, His Spirit? How how do I know His Spirit is in my life? Well, I want you to think about your conscience. Okay, I want you to think about your conscience. And then I want you to kind of push your conscience to the side. And I want, to ask, I want you to ask yourself this question. Is there another voice? Is there another influence in your life? And that voice is consistent in this. That voice is consistent in, in prompting you, pressuring you, pushing you to be more like Jesus. Is that voice there? Is that influence there? You see, it's easy when we just think that Christianity is some form of morals, right? Because if it's morals, it kind of goes along with our conscience. We can say, oh, it's wrong to murder, so we're not going to murder. And if that's all Christianity is, we don't really need the Spirit. Because a lot of people have come to that conclusion without the Spirit. But what if you were thinking about, and I remember sitting in a Sunday school class years ago, one of the members said, it's not wrong to want to give my kids the best of everything. I guess, technically, it's not wrong. But as you're thinking about giving your kids the best of everything, is there a voice inside of you that says, what about other people's kids? What about kids all over the world? Are you so sure that you should make sure your kid has the latest model Mercedes-Benz car. Because it's not wrong to give your kids the best. Is there at least another voice that says, hey, have you thought about it? You know, I've been kind of convicted of some of this myself because whenever I think about the next step shelter, you know, and we've been giving clothes, I do what I've done my whole life. I go through my closet and I go, oh, here's stuff I'll never wear again. And I give it away. Is that wrong? No, it's not wrong. But is there a voice inside of me that says, have you ever considered Giving them something that you'd use? Have you ever considered just go buying some new clothes? Or do they only deserve the clothes you don't need anymore? Not that I would do it, but I have even considered it. Is that voice even somewhere in my life? Because it's not wrong to give people used clothing. It's this thing that's, that's it's not so cut and dry when it's murder, don't murder. Lie, don't lie. Adultery, no adultery. Those things are there. And, and again, a lot of non-Christians would agree with that. I used to tell my students at, at Southwestern, I would tell them, for some of you, To get an A in my class would be a sin. And you might think, like, what kind of professor are you? Of course you want them to think what you're teaching is the most important thing in the universe and that they should give all their time to. Of course you should think that. But I would tell them, if for you to get an A, you have to neglect your wife, or you're not going to raise your kids. What are you doing? And what I hoped is that for some of them, that what I was saying would connect with the spirit in their lives, and they would go, "Yeah, you're right." Because I wasn't—I wasn't, I wasn't an a guy. I was a guy that wanted A's. I mean, that—that was—I was, i know what it means to be driven that way. Do we have that? Spirit? that voice that that tells us that even some things that we think are good are not always good. And see, the Spirit needs to, to do that for us because we're not going to do it on our own. The Spirit needs to show us. The Spirit needs to... Help us get ready. The Spirit directs us to do to do more. Or to sometimes do things differently from everyone else. I sometimes think like for me, like one of the tests is is when everything is said and done, I go, that's not what I would have done. Can you think of times in your life when you when what you did whether it was what you gave or what you said and how you resolved the conflict, you know that's not what you would normally do. That something happened in that moment that caused you to be able to, to speak in a way you didn't think you could speak before. You're standing before your enemy. You're standing before your, the person you're, you're, you're arguing with and you want to You want to win. I can't tell you all the ways the Spirit shows up in our lives. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit for sure. And I asked this question before and I ask it of myself often. Do Do I have more patience? Do I have more joy? Do I have more peace? Do I have more faithfulness? Do I have more love? Or am I exactly the same I've been for 5, 10, 15, 20 years? There's been no change. There's been no growth. It's the Spirit that does those things in us. The Bible doesn't always tell us how, the Bible just says this is what will happen. It's what the Spirit will unleash. So what God promises is His Spirit. What we do is we confess Jesus. And as John has taken pains to make sure we understand, is we don't just say Jesus' name. We don't just say some vague idea of Jesus, but we know certain things about Jesus. We know that He is the Son of God. We know He is the Savior of the world. The thing we need to understand is that belief matters. We're in a world today that, that again, wants to, to, to go past all this Jesus stuff and just that's just all love. Let's just all get along. Let's not look at our differences. Let's just look at what we have in common. And on a certain level, that makes sense. But if to do that, you have to leave behind Jesus. To do that, you have to leave behind the only one who can allow us to really love and unite the way that that we can do so where it's not about me and it's not about you. Belief matters. And our beliefs about Jesus connects to everything else. Everything else that we do and we believe. It's this idea that that Jesus is, is... not just the Son of God, not just Savior, but He's the Lord. This is a problem that a lot of Christians have. and He's not just the Lord. He's the Lord of all. The Lord of all. There's people like, okay, Jesus, I want you to be Lord, but I want you to only be Lord of some. I want you to be Lord of part of me. I want you to be Lord of, you know, that when we go to church and stuff, but how I live my life, who I relate to, how I relate to them, how I deal with my spouse, how I think about politics, sexuality, anything else. No, 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 no. no. You just stay on the side there. I only want you to be Lord of some. And I've said this before, and I wasn't the first person to say this, but I think it's good for us to remember this. If He's not Lord of all, He's Lord of nothing. If Jesus is not Lord of all in your life, He is not Lord of anything in your life. Because ultimately, you're Lord. You're the one who says, Jesus, this is what you can be Lord of. Does that make any sense? Jesus, you're Lord. I surrender. I give my life to you. Now, here's the areas. Let's negotiate. Let's work this out. In fact, we're not even negotiating. I'm just going to tell you. It's like two people wanting to get married. Oh, we love each other. We want to live life together. Okay, great. Okay, but, you know, every Wednesday, that's my day. It's me day. Once every five years, I should be able to travel for a year and not have you around. You're optional. Maybe that works for you. Wouldn't really work for me. But that's sometimes how we treat Jesus. That's one of the reasons we don't want to know His Word. We don't want to know what He has to say about life. We don't want to know what He has to say about our relationships. We don't want to know what He has to say about holiness. We just want Him to be Lord of some. Not Lord of all. If Jesus is Lord of all, we know His Word and we live His Word. And finally, it's not what, just what we do, which just confess Jesus is what we experience. We experience God's love, and, and that comes in two ways. There's the love received. If you really have faith in Jesus Christ and you really understand how deep we were in sin and how hopeless we were in sin, and if you really understand how perfect, and awesome the Son of God was. And if you really understand the price that was paid, and if you really understand that He took you from that hopeless situation, and that He he made you not just clean, He empowered you to live and love in this world in a way you couldn't before. He gave you the purpose for life. If you really understand that, then you cannot help but feel love revealed to you. Love poured out upon you. In fact, this is part of the job of the Spirit. In in Romans 5, it tells us that the Holy Spirit pours out God's love on us. So it's love poured out on us that we should feel, that we should receive. You know, I often talk about Christianity like it's not about you, and it's really not about you. But make no mistake, your Father lavishes love upon you. In that sense, it is about you. But He doesn't do it just as a doting father spoiling his kids. He does it as a father who says, I'm getting you ready to go out and do the things that I've called you to do. Not to sit. Not to just get through life. But to make a difference in this world. It's what Paul says in Galatians 5-6. It's faith expressing itself in love. And I love how he says this in verse in 12 and 17. He says His love is perfected in us. In a sense, it's this idea that, in, that it is in some ways perfect. But it also keeps open the door that this is ongoing. John has said again and again, no one is sinless. No one is perfect. In fact, if you believe that, then you're making God a liar. It's ongoing. It's being perfected. And yet it is perfect in that we receive it from Jesus. But God understands. And He gives us, you know, kind of what I call level one. Level one. How to deal with love. Level one. Love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Get it right in the church. How are you going to love your enemies if you cannot love your brothers and sisters in Christ? It's not just enough to believe in love or feel love, to receive love. That's not enough. We are called to express love. And so, through faith in Jesus Christ, we receive the Spirit who empowers us to love. And we receive that love from God, but then we are called to express it. And I cannot tell you what that's going to look like for everybody. It's going to look different in different situations. But make no doubt, we are called to express love. And understand this too, that John is saying, if you want to express love to Jesus, if you want to express love to God, here's what you do. You know His Word. And you do His Word. When we think like, oh, you know, there's parts I can just... there's parts, you know, I don't need to deal with. I I don't need to think about that. Uh, You know, it's fine. Again, the point isn't that you're perfect. But the point is that you're being confronted with God's Word. You're being confronted with when it talks about anger. You're being confronted when it talks about lust. You're being confronted when it talks about you know, adultery, and it talks about marriage. You're being confronted in your relationships with your parents. It's not that you're perfect, but that you're being confronted by those things, and you're being called to be holy. And you say, okay, God make me holy. And so we find, we don't get this sliding standard We don't get to move it around. We don't get to make the golf hole bigger and smaller. But we have a loving and gracious and merciful God who says, follow me. Follow me. And I know you're going to fall down. I know you're going to get lost. Just keep getting up. But when you cannot get up, I'm going to go back and get you and pick you up. So he doesn't change the standard. He just walks with us and helps us get there.